0: All right, welcome back to Jews and Food. Hope you're enjoying the food, and we're gonna get ready to discuss. Okay, so here's the new handout, new topic for tonight. Topic for tonight is called the meat of the issue. Yes, we are all full of puns. That's how, that's how we roll. Okay, so here's the deal. I wanna quickly recap what we did in the first two sessions. So in session number one, we talked about the history and the origin and the spirit. Oh, we have an extra one? Okay. All right, we spoke about the history, the origin, the meaning of food. I mentioned in the first class how, you know, the very first commandment that, as human beings, we totally whiffed on. The very first mitzvah. Hello, Ellie, Is the, what's regarding food. Um, Adam and Eve are eating from the forbidden. Literally, it's an eating experience. Noah gets off the ark. The next thing you know, he's getting drunk. Abraham... And Sarah, Abram and Sarah, they are recruiting monotheists, budding monotheists, um, uh, utilizing food. Joseph and his brothers, when they sell him, they sit down for a meal. We have also the drama of the golden calf that's surrounded by food. And food plays an important role, as it does in life, as we pointed out in the first session. And we spoke about in that first class how the, the deeper reason for the centrality of food, obviously on a biological level you need food to live, but the centrality for it is also because on a spiritual level food is an integral part of our spiritual service. Because in food, um, which is beneath us as it were, and that's not a judgmental, it sounds a little judgy, but what I mean is in the strata of uh, mineral, vegetation, animal, and human, the, the, uh, the forms of life that are inhabiting the 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 lower realms as it were actually contain higher sparks than the sparks that we contain on our own and thus spark when i say sparks i mean sparks of divinity sparks of holiness and so when we eat we're actually accessing these incredibly lofty spiritual um points of light and we're we're imbibing them ingesting them and then hopefully doing something positive with that energy, and thus bring them back up to God. So that was the first session. In the second session, we spoke about the difference. We spoke about the Sinai diet, and we explained that when it comes to kosher, we have something fascinating, and that is um, kosher is referred to in halach and Jewish law as mutar, mutar, which means typically translated as permitted, but it really means untied. Whereas forbidden foods <coughs> are called asur, which. Means was translated as, for, as um, forbidden, but it literally means tie down. And we explained last week that there's two forms of klipa. Klipa uh, is a Kabbalistic term that refers to the shell that surrounds divine sparks. It's kind of like a fruit that's very delicate. You know, nature has a way of creating a shell around it to kind of keep it, you know, to keep it viable so that someone can eat it. Otherwise, we'll just, I don't know, get messed up and get get ruined. So too. And also one could say that the soul, our soul, has a body around it, which is also the klipa as it were. But there are different forms of shells. Some are very soft. Some are soft peels. Then you have soft shells. Then you have hard shells that can be cracked open. And then you have hard shells that are impenetrable. You, can't, you just cannot open it. So the things that are permitted um, spiritually are the things that have, it's called klipa noga. It's shells. That have the ability to be that are, that are that we're able to open them and access the the light, whereas the forbidden elements in this world, so those have spiritually those have shells that are imp, that are impenetrable, which means that we just can't access the energy in a straightforward fashion, and so therefore the only way uh, to deal with those things is simply to reject them. The rejection is that thing fulfilling its purpose, not us utilizing it but rejecting it. Today we get into a fascinating fascinating piece of of the analysis of this this larger picture, and that is, how could it be, based on what we just said last week and what I just described in this recap, that you have two categories in life, and I'm just gonna use two pieces of technology randomly to depict this, right? You have the things that are permitted, things that are forbidden, accessible, inaccessible light. Okay, those are the two divides. How does it make sense that within the realm of the permitted, you would have elements of the permitted that we're not supposed to touch. How does that make sense? And if you're wondering what I'm th- what I'm thinking about, here's what I'm thinking about. In Jewish law, in Jewish law, the laws of kashrut, when it comes to meat, for example, not every part of the animal of a kosher animal can be eaten. Even though it's kosher, but not every part of the animal can be eaten. And so this is and, and furthermore, you can take two pieces of kosher food, but put them together, and suddenly it becomes forbidden. And the question is, what? Today's class is entitled, Fats, Blood, and Cheeseburgers. Oh my. That is the title of today's class. How can we imagine? How can we fathom? <coughs> that you're starting off with a kosher animal or an otherwise kosher piece of food. And yet, either within the animal, there's, there's, there's forbidden elements or you take two kosher You know, you say kosher plus kosher equals kosher. How could it be? How does the math work? Kosher plus kosher equals non-kosher. We're going to get into that tonight, as well as the big question, when did meat become permitted? But more importantly, why did meat become permitted at a later point in history? All of these we're going to get to in tonight's class. So that's a little bit about the opening. Sorry, that's a little bit in the opening about the subject. Now let's jump in. So, I just want to be very clear here. The three categories that we're going to f- focus on tonight mainly are the forbidden fats of an animal, the forbidden blood of an animal, and bird, and the prohibition of mixing meat and milk and what, what, the, what the foundation of that is. So, those fat, blood, and, uh, and, and, and meat and milk, uh, milk and meat. So, now with that in mind, I'd like you to open up your booklets. And let's look at text number one. So let's, um, let's create the foundation for, for, this, uh, for this idea. The first term that I want to share with you, the Hebrew term, is the, the Hebrew term called chelev. Chelev is the Hebrew term for the forbidden fats. Um, there are permitted fats of an animal, and then there are for, the, the forbidden fats. And just so you know, um, you know if, you, if you have a steak, and, and it's, you, it's like marbleized, there's like fat... That if it's a kosher, that's kosher. The fats that we're talking about um, as being non-kosher are the specific fats that are surrounding some of the uh, some of the organs. Exactly, very specific fats that a kosher butcher, when they when they have a kosher piece of meat, they they preemptively cut those pieces out. They don't even end up in the kosher supermarket or on the kosher shelf of your supermarket um, as labeled kosher. Those are those are just. You know, not not at all distributed as kosher. So a trained kosher butcher knows how to cut those parts off and only sell the kosher parts. So that's an introduction about the fats, the forbidden fats, again called chalev. Now blood, the Hebrew term for blood is dam. Dam is blood. Jewish law prohibits the consumption of all animal and bird blood. All of that is problematic. Now when it comes to meat and milk, this is just a quick overview. When it comes to meat and milk, Jewish law prohibits the eating of meat and milk together, the cooking of meat and milk together, and even the benefiting of the, the from the mixture of meat and milk together. I remember there was a family in Pittsburgh, a very prominent family, very wealthy family. They owned a, a bunch of the local Chuck E. Cheese, amongst other things. They also owned a bunch of the Chuck E. Cheese franchises locally in the Pittsburgh area. Um, that's where I grew up as a kid. The um, and when they became this, so he this, the family started becoming more more observant and whatever, and then they realize like, oh, wait a second, there might be a problem with owning a restaurant that has that sells meat and milk because then you're benefiting, you're profiting. You're not eating it, but you're profiting from that mixture. Typically, just, just to clarify this, typically when it comes to things that aren't kosher, you can sell it. Knock yourself out. When it comes to meat and milk, specifically that mixture, the Torah has a separate prohibition not even to benefit or profit from it. So what they had to do is kind of restructure the business and, um, and have another partner who wasn't Jewish, who was able to then, you know, they, they somehow structured it where, you know, they would profit from, I don't know, the arcades or the other food, and the pepperoni pizza was, uh, you know, someone else made the profit that wasn't them. So that's kind of how they structured But back to the story. Let's ask the obvious question, what's wrong with the fats of a kosher animal? What's wrong with the blood of a kosher animal? What's the deal with this? So what we're going to do is, we're going to read text one. Text one is the foundation, the biblical foundation for the prohibition uh, um, uh, against eating the, uh, certain fats and the blood of an animal or bird. And what we're going to do is we're going to look for clues in text one. Ask the rationale. It's going to tell us that you can't eat fats and blood. But the question is why. So if you can't pay attention. see if you can, if you can uh, play sleuth. Um, who's a good sleuth? Um, Sherlock Holmes. This, this text and see if we can figure out what's going on. Let's go around this way. Um, Tom, please get us started. Text number one.
1: Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of an ox, sheep, or goat. The fat of carrion and the fat of an animal with a fatal disease or injury may be used for any work, but you shall not eat it. For anyone who eats fat of animals from which sacrifices are brought as fire offers to the Lord... The soul who eats it shall be cut off from its people. You shall not eat any blood in any of your dwelling places, whether from birds or animals. Any person who eats any blood, that person, that soul shall be cut off
0: from its people. Perfect. So we have here, <coughs> excuse me, we have here five verses. First three speak about the prohibition about uh, against eating any fats, um, the second, or eating certain fats. The second prohibition, this is the last two verses speak of the prohibition about consuming blood. Okay, let's break this down. Did you notice a clue, perhaps, as to why these fats may not be consumed?
1: No.
0: What clue did you find in text number one? It's within the first three verses.
2: Yeah, it says here, any animal with a fatal disease or injury uh, because perhaps they knew or had an inkling that the, uh, the, uh, either the pathogens or that which was particularly, uh, could be harmful to humans was concentrated in the fat.
0: Good, okay, good, but, <laughs> but we also have okay. this idea that any ox, sheep, or goat—even the ones that don't have um, the fa- uh, the fatal disease or injury—so that's that's a good angle on the fatal disease or injury. But even animals that don't have a fatal disease or injury, those those fats also cannot be consumed. What else did you notice about that text? Yeah. Either way, awesome. It says um, animals from
3: which sacrifices are brought as fire offerings to God. So like. We can't eat God's food. Oh, mm.
0: oh good, good, excellent. That, oh. So the prohibition, against, the prohibition against eating the fats applies to an ox, sheep, or goat. What's unique about those three animals? Those are three animals of which sacrifices could be brought. You couldn't bring a carbon a sacrifice from any animal that you wish. There were certain categories of animals. Um, Maimonides says that God specifically designed it like that because people used to bring sacrifices from, many sort of, from all sorts of things. So God says, all right, hold on. If you want to bring sacrifices, to me, it's going to be, uh, the, you know, the Torah says, it's only, it's only certain categories. So as, uh, as Meir is saying, very accurately, as the commentaries point out, it's almost like God is saying, oh, and one more point. When, uh, the, when animal sacrifices were brought, the chilev, the fat, was brought on the altar. So, it's kind of like the Torah saying, God is saying, the fats, all the fats are for me, y'all, don't touch those fats. I mean, the other fats, sure, but not, not the ones that you, would, that you would use for me. And in fact, we find this in text number two. The Tzorah Hamar uh, says this explicitly in text number two. May hey, Rob, if you don't mind, please reading this one. This says that rationale very clearly. I'm
4: still, I'm still on text number one. Um, can I ask
0: a question? Absolutely. Um,
4: what does it mean that that soul shall be cut off from its
0: people? Oh, so that is um, that is a standard. <laughs> funny, it's it's a it's a harsh line, but it's a standard line in Torah regarding a lot of negative prohibitions. It says I the uh, the punishment is kares. Right. What that what means? That like, so the way kares is typically um, described is that the person. Um, this doesn't happen nowadays. But back in the day, they would pass away before like the age of 50. And I don't know, it was like a spirit, also like a spiritual thing that also manifested physically. So it's going to with, with the existence what? of the teaching, yeah, 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 yeah. So that, uh, so that karis, mm-hmm. that spiritual piece of it doesn't really, or, or the physical manifestation at least, doesn't really work. the Rebbe and Tanya in one of the later parts of Tanya deals with this question about Kares nowadays, is it, does it work? Does it not work? Like, what does it mean for a person? But clearly, the Torah is emphasizing that we should stay away from it. Right at the very least, we should stay away from it. Um, okay, so text two, if you don't mind.
4: Um, the blue
0: as well. No, not the. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to worry um, about that. Since
4: God chose the fats and blood as the best part of the sacrifice, He commanded that the children of Israel should not.
0: Perfect. So Sura Mara says. Oh, and I should have mentioned. When, when they brought um, the sacrifices, they not only burnt the chilev, the fat, on the, on the altar, but they also sprinkled the blood on the altar. So it's like God is saying, fat and blood, that's for me. Y'all don't eat that. I got that from the animals. So from these category animals.
2: They didn't sprinkle the blood. They sloshed it.
0: Also. Then they collected it and did fruit. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of... There was a lot, by the way, I should mention... Um, my grandfather, yes. a blessed memory was uh, in addition to his other activities he was a shacut he was a slaughterer so at many an occasion I visited him in the slaughterhouse Ooh. So uh, every Sunday morning for example, he would shack chickens on Murray Avenue the main the main dragon squirrel hill at Greenberg's poultry place and you know he wore the white you know the white coat I don't know why they wear white I guess the blood stands out. And he would shack the chickens they had a they had a machine with like a like a, a roller brush thing that would pluck the chickens. but I also went to see you know the 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 larger animal um, factory that wasn't like in the, in the city. he used to drive out far. He used to leave i think 3 30 a m He was already older 3 30 a m you guys they would carpool to Sandusky, Ohio. they would go there and um Legit. <laughs> crazy. Crazy, crazy. After he passed away, the, um, the fellow that was their driver, there was two, him and someone else that used to shack, and they had a driver because they had to be on top of their game. They couldn't be tired before they started. It's just not. So they had someone that drove them. He said that one time, oh, and they always stopped halfway between Pittsburgh and, I guess, Sandusky. They stopped halfway, and they would have, you know, they go to the bathroom and then and fill up the t- whatever it is, and then they would continue. But no one talked. It was so early in the morning that... So the, so there was a driver, <laughs> the other guy in the front seat. My grandfather, who was the oldest of the bunch, he would be lying down in the back. He had like a pillow and some blankets. That was the deal. Well, one time they, they stopped at the gas station. They get back in and they drive. They get to the slaughterhouse. They turn back around. He's not in the car. They thought he was in the car. You know, it was dark. No one was looking. Hey, whatever. They He wasn't in the car. This is before cell phones, obviously. And so they literally... Back. Said, all right, well, we're not shechting today. Nice. So they turned back, they got him, and he was waiting there. He's like, hello, you guys love me. In <laughs> a time before cell phones, like, right. it's actually kind of crazy. <laughs> anyway, all right, so now we're up to text number, yeah?
4: So sacrifices only included fat and blood?
0: No, there were also parts of the animal. No, 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 no. It also included parts of the The truth is... So why are those parts... Those parts are... Good, right? excellent question, excellent question. Depending on the sacrifice, some sacrifices... The whole animal was, was burnt on the altar, pretty much. Some animals, only certain parts. Sorry. There are different categories of sacrifices. So, certain categories of sacrifices, like the Ola offering, burnt offering, pretty much the whole animal was burnt. Then you had the Shlamim offering, the peace offering. was called P E A C E, Shalom. It was called peace because everyone got a piece of it. No pun intended. The other type of, right? But everyone got a piece of it. The Kohen got a piece. The, misband, the altar got a piece, and the one who brought it got a piece. So, there were different forms, of, so, different forms of sacrifices, and there wasn't a hard and fast rule as to which part of the animal, of the meat of the animal, let's say, would be burned on the altar. But by every sacrifice, there was one, two consistent things. Chelev and dam, fat and blood. And so it's almost like Hashem is saying, look, that is for the sacrificial service, not for uh, personal consumption. That's according to the way we're analyzing it. Now, <laughs> Excuse me, Miira. Please read text number three. There are three types of forbidden fat:
3: the fat upon the ears, <laughs> upon the kidneys, and upon the bones. The liability of consuming fat is limited to the three types of kosher animals fit for sacrifices, namely oxen, sheep, and goats. However, the fat of the subdivisions of these animals, e.g., the wild ox, is permitted, although they are fit for
0: sacrifices. Okay, so here we go. What, the, what this text is saying and what we're reading between the lines is as follows. Um, that the fats of other kosher animals that are not in these categories are permitted because they're not typically brought as sacrifices, which means again, the only prohibition is because these types of animals were brought as sacrifices. Now it's not only the animal itself that was brought as a sacrifice, but that species of animal could not be, uh, we can't consume the, the fats, but other species of animals that are not, that are kosher, but not in those categories of of sacrificial possibility. Those fats could be c- can be consumed. Um, text four clarifies that point. Um, Jamie, if you don't mind, mind, please reading text number four.
2: Mm-hmm. The verse states: For anyone who eats fat of animals from which sacrifices are brought as fire offerings. This does not mean that the prohibition of eating fat is limited to an animal that may be actually be sacrificed. The Torah prohibited the fats of all types of oxen, sheep, and goats, including those with a blemish, which is unfit for sacrifice. Rather, the Torah is teaching us that only those fats that were sacrificed are forbidden because the Torah prohibited fats out of respect sacrifices.
0: So even if you have an ox or a goat or a sheep that has a blemish, like a a blemish that's not going to go away, which which therefore renders that animal um, unfit for the altar, because you don't bring a blemish animal on the altar, and you would say, okay, so then it's never going to go on the altar, so the fats are okay? No, because again, it's the species of animal. If it's that type of animal, fats are out. Now, the difference between fat and blood, although it's contained in the same area of the mitzvah, the prohibition in the same five verses you have you know the first three verses are about fat second two the last two verses are about blood so although the juxtaposition is there there's a major distinction between the two we just i you know at length we went through a few texts that clarify the prohibition of fat the fat prohibition is because these types of animals were brought on the altar and that's for god Well, what about the blood if you look back at text one and it's important to do so You look back at text one. Look at the last two verses. You shall not eat any blood in any of your dwelling places, whether from birds or from animals. Any person who eats any blood, etc. In other words, the prohibition, unlike fat, unlike the fats, which is only uh, prohibited by the type of animals that we brought as sacrifices. When it comes to blood, all animal bird blood, etc. It's all prohibited. Now, the question is why, if F- fats and bloods were brought on the altar. And the problem is that, well, God and the issue is that God wants that, and it says you can't have that for whatever reason. So just like by fats, it should be opened up to other animals, but blood as well. So here we have another rationale. So take a look at text number five. In other words, when it comes to blood, there's two reasons for the prohibition. Number one, it's brought on the altar. But number two, text five, for the soul of the flesh, this is from another verse in Leviticus, uh, several chapters earlier, than the one that we read before, for the soul of the flesh is in the blood, and I have therefore given it to you to be placed upon the altar to atone for your souls. For it is the blood that atones for the soul. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, None of you shall eat blood, and the stranger who sojourns among you shall not eat blood. In other words, the issue with the blood, and I know it talks about the sacrificial service as well in that in that first verse, but it says ki hadam uha nefesh, because the soul is the blood, the blood, the soul is in the blood, and that's the problem. So again, if we're stacking rationale, when it comes to fat, the reason for the provision of fat is because it was brought on the altar. When it comes to the blood, it's number one, it was brought on the altar. Number two, the soul is in the blood. Now the question is, what's wrong? So then what's what's wrong with eating this the blood and, and ingesting the soul? So here we have some uh, a series of of, of texts that are going to explain what the deeper problem with that is. Uh, yeah?
4: The stranger mm-hmm. who sojourns among you. Yeah. Blood, that what, what does stranger mean here? Because Gale means
0: convert. Convert, right, right. So there's actually a question as to whether it means someone who has formally converted or someone who is kind of a, I guess, in the um, modern. Term, uh, national terminology would call it, like I guess, a resident alien or something. You know, someone who's a permanent resident. There you go, permanent resident. Is it
4: a person who's going to convert,
0: or just anything? Not necessarily. To it just means someone who is living around you. The idea Torah was very. So they're not allowed to have. They have
4: to keep
0: kosher. Essentially, the, the 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 areas of prohibition, Torah was was trying to be mind, uh, mindful about the fact that you're, if you're living in your in a country and you have a set of rules, it's going to be very distracting. To have other rules, or people operating by a different set of rules, um, commingling, and so therefore, when you're establishing this as your place, right? This meaning Israel is your place. Someone who's in your land, this, let's just let's let's uh, let's all share the same diet to have that to have that clarity. Because otherwise, once that doesn't happen, once you're having uh, you know that stuff around, it's a it's a very quick, uh, you know, a, a quick a quick road. To, um, to engage in another behavior. Now, let's take a look at some of the rationale. So again, we said <coughs> excuse me, blood issue number one, it was brought in the altar. Blood issue number two, the soul is in the blood. Well, what does that mean? So we have a series of texts here, starting with Ramban, Nachmanides. Nachmanides clarifies, um, um, uh, sorry, Nachmanides clarifies that the difference between fat and blood is that fat you can distinguish which an, from which animal the fat came, but blood looks red. And it's going to be hard to distinguish where that animal came from. Yeah.
2: Nachmanides is the same as Mamanides? No. Oh, okay.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Nachmanides... Lived around the same time as Maimonides, but a different guy. Okay. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman is his name. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon is Maimonides. Okay, thank you. All right, so Tom, if you don't mind, text number six, mm-hmm. Nachmanides explains about the great blood mix-up. It
1: appears from the verse that the Torah prohibited blood because God gave it to us to be placed upon the altar to atone for our souls, and is therefore the portion of God. Thus the reason for the prohibition of blood is the same as the reason for the prohibition of fat, which is also forbidden since it is sacrificed on the altar. One may ask, if so, why does the Torah also prohibit the blood of wild animals and birds, which are unfit for sacrifices? The question can be resolved by explaining that God wanted to distance us from all types of blood Lest we mistakenly consume a forbidden type. The Torah did not, however, do so with fat, prohibiting only the fat of oxen, sheep, and goats. This is because the fat of these animals is distinct and will not be confused with the fat of other animals. The blood of all animals, however, appears similar and precautionary measures are therefore necessary.
0: If you had a glass of blood, are you able to tell which. This sounds gross, I know. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, like, you wouldn't be able to tell. Whereas the fat, apparently, it was clear whether it was a uh, this type of animal, or that type of animal. I'm not an expert, but that's what he says. Okay, that's one rationale. The other rationale is what I said before, and this is found in text number seven. Mayrab, please read text seven. This is from the um, Bchar Shar. Says the verse
4: states.
0: For the soul of the flesh
4: is in the blood, and I have given it to you to be placed upon the altar. The verse is is giving us two reasons why blood is prohibited. One, because the soul is in the blood, and it is thus improper to consume it. And second, because it is placed on the altar, and it is forbidden due to its sanctity. It thus follows that there are two reasons to forbid the blood of animals that are fit for sacrifices. While the blood of wild animals and birds is forgiven, for the first reason, because it contains the soul. This is why blood is prohibited whether it is from a domesticated animal, wild animal or bird. Fat, however, is only forbidden because it is brought as a sacrifice and is therefore it therefore only applies with animals that are fit for sacrifices.
0: Thank you. So, and this is this is I was actually saying this before. We did Nachmanis, Now we're back to this point. So again, there's two options when it comes to fat. There's one reason why it's prohibited because they were brought as that because the fat was offered on the altar. So therefore, it only applies to those animals that would otherwise be offered on the altar. When it comes to blood, there's that reason plus. The reason that the, the, the soul is in the blood, and therefore because of that reason souls in the blood, all blood is prohibited. Now, we have to look a little bit deeper into that reason. Again, Ahmadinej says because you're going to mix up the bloods, fine. But this is a deeper reason saying that of the key, because of the soul connection.
4: These wild animals and birds are getting,
0: uh, getting so mentioned So, for are example, yes, like a deer is kosher. So deer is kosher, but you would not—you're not—it's not one of the animals that we brew out as a sacrifice. So that's what he means. So deer would be the perfect example. Um, I haven't seen the deer local. Have you guys seen the the local deer? Yeah, they used to come around when we first moved here. I don't know what happened. Maybe we scared them away. We were See, sinners. They, they
1: figured you—you relate to somebody who's shocked, they you know, them know,
0: just a shock. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, yeah,
1: why can't why can't you buy kosher deer?
0: It's funny. I asked, I asked my grandfather that back in the day. He told me two things. It's funny. His name was also Tzvi Hirsch, which means deer. So I asked him, I said, well, how come, why, don't we, why is it there are no deer on the market? He said, number one, they're hard to catch. But more importantly, number two, is what he told me, um, the meat is tough and it's not, it's not like, it's gamey. It's not what it's not people are used to. But conceptually, it's kosher. Yeah. Giraffe is also kosher. It has blood. Giraffe. Yeah. giraffe has a big. There's a big misconception about giraffe. they nasty animals. Well, also, but no, that's not. No, the misconception about it, about giraffe is that about the shechting. I, when as a kid, I always heard, oh, because you don't know the neck is so long, you don't know where to shech. Totally not true. You know how many oh. bones
2: summer. You know how many bones a uh, giraffe has in its neck. No idea. Yeah. Do you know how many? Bones a human has in his neck? No. Seven. Five,
4: seven.
0: I feel like you know this. This is your business. The giraffe
2: has seven. They're just very tall.
0: Uh, wow. The same seven. Yeah.
2: Who would talk?
0: Can you do an adjustment on the giraffe? Um, that would be a little bit more difficult. Giraffes
2: seem very gentle within
0: their families there. Yeah. But I heard also giraffe, the wrangling. Would be ex-
1: catching. <laughs>
0: not only catching it. When you shacked an animal, you, you cannot apply any pressure to the neck. No. No. You can't. Uh, you can't hack at it. It's considered if you cause any pain like that, it may, it's it's no it's not kosher. You have to go right along the edge. There's a, it's a very it's a very precise way to do it along the edge, but not but not to apply any pressure, because the animal because the neck is very strong and it's very big. The logistics of doing a kosher shit of kosher thing on it would be extremely extremely difficult. And so therefore, no one does it.
4: Can you do it with a machine or it has to be done by hand?
0: It's gotta be done by hand. There's a great story, a very powerful story that's told. The Bashemtov, you know, back in the day, he before he became the Bashemtov, you know, he was gaining notoriety, but still not like world famous. He would go around different towns, and whatever they needed Jewishly, he would, he would help out. A teacher, a shochet, a mother, like, he would help out as needed. So once he moved on from a town, and at that town he was shecheting the animals, and then they needed to hire another shochet and they did. A seemingly a good guy, God-fearing fellow. And he goes out with the assistant, uh, who wasn't Jewish, but he would help the previous shochet who was the Baal They go out, and he's shecheting, and he says, you're doing it wrong. It's not kosher. The non-Jewish guy says to the, he says, I, with all due respect, I'm, I'm proficient in these laws, and I've been doing this on my own, for, you know, for a long time. Um, I beg to differ. But why do you say that? He says, because you're not polishing your knife correctly. You know, between every, every time, it, the knife has to be perfectly smooth with not any nicks. It can't have, you have to run your fingernail along the blade, and if it catches anywhere, you cannot use that knife until you sharpen it and remove all the nicks. Because again, it can't catch on it because that would rip the, rip the it would hurt the, the animal so he says you're not sharpening correctly he says what are you talking about <coughs> he says when the Baal Shem Tov would shecht he would cry and with those tears he would, that would wet the stone and that's how he sharpened his knife with the tears of shechting here's the guy who when taking the life of an animal right. you know, even for a good cause he was crying he says you I don't see any tears Not kosher. It's a story that's told, but it kind of brings out, like uh, I think, a beautiful idea that we're not we're not callous with these things. Um, At least we're not meant to be. My grandfather always had a problem with those, um, because you ask it to be done with machines, like with the those um, you know, like chicken kosher chicken plants that would check like a thousand in an hour. He's like, come on. He's like, there's not you. That's not that's not the way it was meant to be intended. They have, but it's also they're also kind of moving in an assembly line. So it's like you're shefting and it's moving, and you're shefting and it's moving. But it feels like it's a little less personal.
4: Cows and buffalo, I mean, how do they, how can they do that? So
0: you're talking about supposed, logistically.
4: It's supposed to be in one. I
0: can describe it for you. It's uh, some of the more modern. Well, uh, some of the more modern operations. I've seen this myself. They they corral the animal into a you know individual pen and they open up a small window, the animal sticks out its neck, mm-hmm. so sad, and then they kind of close it up where, not to put pressure, but they yeah. can't pull it, sort of, and then there's like a block that comes from the ground and pushes, so the the, the animal's neck is sticking out, and then it, the thing pushes it up, gently, and then it's in position. It's a little bit, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the right word for that is, but it's a little, you know. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not fun to watch, but it's um, part of the process. Maybe it's good we didn't have meat tonight. <laughs> All right, text eight. So here we go. We're going to get now deeper into the idea that the blood is the, the soul is in the blood, and therefore not to eat blood. What does that mean? The soul is in the blood, and why is that a reason a rationale not to eat it? What's What's actually going on here? Text number eight. We have a few different. Commentaries on this. We're going to start with text eight, which is again Ramban Ahmadis, and he explains what is going on over here. Um, is it? Uh, no, I think no, I think you just read. I read. This? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mira, take it away. The
3: proper way to explain the prohibition of blood is as follows: God created all material beings for the sake of man, for He alone among them recognizes His Creator. Nevertheless, at first, God only allowed man to consume vegetative matter, and not animals that possessed soul. During the Great Flood, the animals survived in Noah's merit, and afterward Noah brought sacrifices from among them, and they were accepted on high. At that point, God permitted man to slaughter animals, for their life is for the sake of man. He allowed them to derive pleasure from them, and make use of their bodies, which live for the sake of man, and he designated their soul, the blood, as atonement for man when it is sacrificed beforehand. him but not for them to consume. It is not fitting for one soul to consume another soul, for all souls belong to
0: God. That. that line, I know we're in the middle of it, but it's a long and I wanna make sure to highlight that line. It is not fitting for one soul to consume another soul. He's basically saying that even though meat became permitted after the flood, post flood, you know, Noah took care of the animals. So God kind of, all right, you can eat an you can eat animals. But he says, you cannot consume a soul. A soul can't consume a soul. Continue, please. Even an
3: animal possesses some form of soul, as evidenced from the fact that it knows to escape dangerous elements and to follow what is beneficial for it. It recognizes and loves what it is familiar with, as demonstrated by the love of a dog to its owner and its amazing ability to recognize its master's family members. Similarly, doves possess knowledge and recognition. It is also known that the food of a person consumes that the food a person consumes becomes part of his very flesh. If one will consume the soul blood of another creature and it will fuse with his blood and heart, it will introduce coarseness into his soul. This will cause his nature to become similar to the nature of the animal soul, which was contained in what he had consumed because blood does not need to be digested like other foods that change when digested. Hmm. It is not proper for a soul that will not last to mix with a soul that is eternal. Instead, it should serve as atonement on his behalf on the altar.
0: He says a lot of interesting things over there really a lot of things to break down. But one of the key ideas is, I'm sure you noticed here, he says when you eat food, your body breaks it down and it becomes so like, you're not, you're not um, absorbing the food, you're digesting the food. But when it comes to drinking blood, conceptually, it would be absorbed in the body. It wouldn't be digested or broken down. It would just become instantly part of the body. And that would be too intense to take an animal... The, the, the blood of the animal is the passion, is the animal soul of that animal is in, is in the blood. And to then just drink that blood, to imbibe it, would be to like inject, like to inject, to like infuse. Listen to a podcast now about Barry Bonds. You guys know about Barry Bonds? Mm. Baseball player, performance-enhancing drugs, like back in the day, steroids, whatever. I'm sure it's happening today also. But like, like you can't be juicing animals, right? Juicing animals, juicing up with animals. It would be, it would be, too, it would be <coughs> mixing an animal spirit in a human being. And then he said also an eternal soul with a non-eternal soul. Listen, I get asked, I've been asked before, like, do dogs go to heaven? And that's, that's always a tricky question to answer. But what he seems to say here is that there is the, the godly soul that we possess is certainly eternal. Um, the animal soul, maybe a little less. Again, who am I to take away heaven from dogs? In fact, I think there was a movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven, right? I'm a big fan of dogs. Um, so, nonetheless, that's, I, I'm just...
1: We saw a movie which was Dogs Are Reincarnated.
0: Oh, there <laughs> you go. That was a very, I remember when I was a kid, there was a great movie about a talking dog. Right. What was that movie called? It was a little. you remember that movie? No. I know there was Herbie the Talking Car.
1: Herbie the Love Bug.
0: Right, the love bug. But then there was a talking dog. Benji? Benji. Yeah, Benji. Benji didn't talk? No,
4: yeah, he was just a really smart
0: dog. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Definitely Benji. That's what I was thinking of. Um, so, yeah.
4: So if you... I've never read of any recipe that, that uses blood, even in a non-Jewish...
0: Vampire bakery, cookbook. But... <laughs> right. There's blood sausage. Yeah. <laughs> really, if you can
4: take the, the, the blood... Of, mm-hmm non um, wild animals and birds and it's kosher no, it says it is. No,
0: no no that's only for the fats the fat of the oh, wild yes the, fat the, fat. the fat. blood across the board sorry yeah, yeah. all right mira uh, okay so for the it's the, the soul that is not eternal it's the soul that will not last mm-hmm. so the first week we did the soul spark thing mm-hmm. so and the idea of eating the kosher is to like release the soul. Spark. Yes. So doesn't that mean that it is eternal? Yes. Or does it, yes. Or does it becoming sparkified again make it not the Excellent sparkly? question. It, there is a part of it that is eternal. But the general animal part of it is less. For example, when, even when it comes to human being, we believe that the godly soul is the eternal part, whereas the animal soul, and just to explain what I mean by animal soul, Animal soul is the part of the soul, that's, or the soul, that's about animating the body and powering biological life. When a person passes away, that soul is no longer no longer needed, right? Does that make sense? There's, it, it, you, that soul, the godly soul is eternal. It's a piece of God, God, you know, piece of God. But the other part of the soul, or the other soul that's only about um, uh, animating the body, that's not, that's not really necessary anymore. And so with the animal, that's the same thing. Again, whether there's part of the animal also, yes. I, I would agree with that, actually. But I think his point here is that by ingesting, not digesting, but ingesting the soul of an animal, first of all, you're mixing things. You're, you're, you're mixing things. You, eat, you can eat some of the meat of the animal, but you're digesting it and taking it in properly. Whereas ingesting it without digestion... He says it's too, it's too powerful, and it's also mixing, you know, it's mixing across that plane of eternal and non-eternal. Now this takes us to text number nine. Text number nine, we have Rebbeinu Bachia that also shares a similar idea, and it's powerful as well. Um, Jamie, you up to reading text number nine?
4: Sure, sure,
2: sure. Okay. One of the reasons why blood is prohibited, the blood contains the animal's soul, and it is not proper that its nature should mix with our nature. We, the receivers of the Torah, must ensure that our bodies are pure and are able to grasp intellectual ideas, and we are commanded to develop tolerant and merciful characteristics. If we would consume blood, then it would introduce cruelty and coarseness within our souls. It would cause our souls to become similar to the animal's soul, because consumed matter becomes part of the flesh of the consumer and introduces within him a nature similar to its own. Blood is unlike other foods that change with digestion. This is why the verse states, for the soul of the flesh is in the blood. It is not proper for a soul that will not last to mix with a soul that is eternal. Instead, it should serve as atonement on his behalf on the altar.
0: Yeah, it's a similar ending it's the same. to the test. Yeah. yeah, the last piece of it is similar. Now, this takes us to text, and that's pretty. It's pretty self-explanatory. This takes us now to text number ten, which is from Sefer Achinuch. The Sefer Achinoch emphasizes the following: that animals have, by nature, a certain degree of cruelty, and that's not due to a fault. To any fault on their part, that's how they're wired. God created animals to, be, to have a cruelty, survival instinct, whatever. So that's a part of their personality that we don't want to inculc- inculcate within ourselves. And that's why no blood. Let's see this in text number 10. It's a short text. So the Chinuch writes, In addition to the negative temperament of blood, we can venture to say that eating it causes the person to acquire a certain measure of the animalistic trait of cruelty. This is because one is absorbing the part of the animal upon which its very life is dependent and to which its soul is connected. It is, it is known that an animal possesses a soul as well, termed by the sages as the living soul as opposed to the intellectual soul of man. And so again, the idea here is a very similar idea. We don't want to ingest, we don't want to consume the spirit soul of an animal, which could be cruel, could be animalistic, or it is cruel, is animalistic, etc. Now I know not all animals are cruel, but... Um, Again, thinking about dogs, but again, dogs aren't even kosher, so that's, uh, we should not be eating dogs. I think we can all agree on that. Either way. Um, Okay. Now, all of this leads to our big question. Now that we've established based on the verses and the classic commentaries um, that the prohibition against fat and blood and the rationale behind that, one reason, two reasons, whatever, now we're going to have a problem. The problem is, we explained last week, kabbalistically, spiritually, that we have two categories of existences. Things that are Klipat Noga, and then Shalosh Kliparat Things that are Klipat Noga, the shell is translucent. You can open the shell and access the light. The ones that are uh, forbidden, those are locked down. Those are the, uh, the shells of impurity and evil, and that can never be accessed. But when it comes to kosher animal, the animal's kosher. If the animal's kosher, then the light should be accessible. So how does it make sense that the animal's kosher? You can eat the meat. But now you can't eat the fat, you can't eat the blood, and I know we gave all these rationales before, but on a mystical, spiritual level, we need a little bit more explanation. So I'm going to read some text, text eleven. Here we have a powerful um, um, idea here um, regarding this. But before I, before we we read this, here's what I want to here's what I want to say about this. In a letter that I don't think we have here. One second. Yeah, no, no, we do have here. This is literally text 11. So I'm going to give you the background of text 11. Basically, the Rebbe says the following. Um, there's, there are certain things that are in the permitted realm, and yet there's another context in which they're forbidden. So for example, kosher food on Yom Kippur. Right? So it's kosher food, but now it's Yom Kippur, so on the one hand, the sparks are accessible. The light is the light is ready to ready to go, and that doesn't change. This remains kosher. The kosher sandwich remains kosher. The problem is it's Yom Kippur. So what happens? So if we engage in that in that food on Yom Kippur, what we're doing is we're accessing something, accessing sparks. But because we're not supposed to be eating on Yom Kippur, so we're accessing what could be accessed but in a prohibited context. And therefore, therefore, it's going against the very um, fabric of the way things are meant to be elevated and light is meant to be accessed, which is, which is then um, a breach. It's causing a, 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 an even greater breach than, than the non-kosher experience. And let me explain. An animal, I, just, I don't know why having two things in front of me makes it easier, easier for me to talk about this. So you have a kosher animal, you have a non-kosher animal, okay? The non-kosher animal, the sparks are inaccessible. So if somebody eats from it, okay, you can't access the sparks, it is what it is. But now you have a kosher animal, kosher meat, and you're eating it, let's say, on Yom Kippur. What's the problem? Here was potential that was accessible, but now you ate on Yom Kippur, which means that you fumbled right before the end zone. In other words, you had a chance to unlock the sparks and you could have, if not for those meddling kids. Sorry. You could have, if not for the fact that it's Yom Kippur, which means you took something that is elevatable, and instead, you degraded it. In a sense, this is worse than this, because this, you didn't mess up. It was already messed up. It was non-kosher. This was inaccessible. But this had the potential to be, to be elevated, but you did, it, you did it in the wrong way. Does that make sense? So in a similar way, we say like this, the, the, the kosher animal is kosher. The blood and the fat is not kosher. Meaning, since God says blood and fat is not kosher, which we read about before, suddenly that creates an, a, a space of inaccessibility, and therefore eating it in e- eating those things, even though they're kosher, would be to degrade that experience and to lose the otherwise holy potential in it. Let's read it inside text number 11. Here we go. The Alte Rebbe explains in Tanya. This is a letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Alte Rebbe explains in Tanya that Permitted foods receive their vitality from klipat noga, that's the translucent shell, and forbidden foods from the three impure klipot shells. This could be divided into two categories, what the item of food is intrinsically connect, associated with and what it becomes associated with through one's action with the food. For example, the godly spark that gives existence and vitality to permitted foods belongs to the category of sparks that are vested within klipat noga. This is the case at all times, including Yom Kippur, when such foods may not be eaten. <coughs> Excuse me. The sanctity of Yom Kippur certainly does not cause food to descend to a lower level, which means, again, kosher food remains kosher on Yom Kippur. The sparks remain accessible on Yom Kippur. It's, it, Yom Kippur doesn't make food not kosher. A holy day makes, makes sparks degraded? Of course not. By contrast, the other extreme, the spark that gives existence and vitality to forbidden foods is from the sparks that are vested within the three impure clip. This is the case at all times, including during times of danger when such foods may be eaten. In other words, to give another example, let's say somebody's starving and the only food available is non kosher. What do you do? You eat the non kosher. Does that make it kosher? No. No, that's what he's saying. <coughs> Those sparks remain impenetrable. Nonetheless, you have a mitzvah to eat it, but that doesn't make the sparks accessible. It just means that right now you need to do something that you're not going to, it's not going to be an elevator experience, but you have to anyway. On Yom Kippur, the sparks are accessible, even though it's Yom Kippur and you're not supposed to eat them. There are two key differences between these two types of sparks. A spark of Klebat Noga senses that it is a godly spark, albeit in a reduced format. By contrast, a spark of the three impure klipot has dimmed entirely until it itself is viewed as klipa. A spark of the three impure klipot is derived from an extremely lofty source, i.e. it possesses a much greater power than that of a spark vested within klipat Right? Remember, the lower it is, the higher it, it stems. Uh, this refers to greater power, not in quantity, but in quality, just as the might of a lion is not just quantitatively greater than that of an ox, but is of a, great, a different category altogether. Now, if a Jew consumes permitted foods on Yom Kippur, this limited action cannot change the order of creation to remove the spark of klipat noga from the food and replace it with a spark from the three impure klipot. It's not like when we, eat, if somebody were to eat food on Yom Kippur, they're magically changing the very nature of the sparks in that food. No, what he can do is lower the food and the spark within it to the three impure klipot, just as he lowers himself there. Just as the energy he invested in eating the food becomes bound through the klipot, he accomplishes the same with the food and the spark, which means the food is kosher. The spark is accessible. But by eating on Yom Kippur, you take this clear, right? This is the clear shell and the, clear, and the, and the spark inside it, and you lower it into the mud. You didn't transform this, but you put it down. You sunk it deep into, into impurity, into the forbidden realm. The same is true in the opposite scenario where one eats forbidden food to save a life. He is not swapping the sparks. Rather, in this case, the sages have undone the bond of the spark through the klipot, which dimmed its light and sensitivity. As a result, he is able to elevate it. Listen to this. When eating the, the non-kosher food, when life is in danger, doesn't make it kosher, but it does elevate the whole experience and the, and the cloudy and the, and the opaque covering, it elevates it to a space of holiness and purpose because it was a mitzvah to save a life and to save your own life and to eat it in that context. So does it transform it in the, does it elevate it in the traditional sense? No, but it elevates it. It literally elevates the whole thing through the context. So there's two elements. There's, are you directly engaging with the spark? Maybe not, but are you elevating or in the first case, lowering it? The answer is absolutely. However, the actual sparks within the food remain the same both before it was eaten on Yom Kippur or by a dangerously ill person as well as afterward. The spark doesn't change. On Yom Kippur, the kosher food, it's a spark that is accessible. The food is accessible, but you ate on Yom Kippur, so therefore it's sunk down into a place that is uh, is impure. Whereas in the case (coughs) of non-kosher food, that you had to eat to save a life, so in that case, um, it elevates to a place of Purpose, a place of a mitzvah, even though the spark remains an impure spark. Not an impure spark, but a spark in an impure shell. That makes sense? This can help us understand what's going on in this case. It's a similar, similar dynamic. In this dynamic, you have kosher food. The food is kosher. The spark is accessible. But the Torah says, don't eat the fat, don't eat the blood, which is granting a space like a Yom Kippur space around those two things. The spark remains accessible. However, by violating that mitzvah, it would degrade the whole experience. And so therefore, we're told, even though the animal is kosher, the blood and fat is prohibited, i.e., doing this would render the whole experience a lower sunken in to impure, impurity experience. Now, we're going to end off with two more things, uh, two more texts very quickly. So this helps us understand the very, the very nature of meat and milk. And I want to share with you a very powerful, um, a very powerful idea. Okay? This is uh, sourced in Rabbeinu Bachia in text 12. I'm going to tell it to you outside, That we're going to read it inside. Um, Rabbeinu Bachia says the following. Milk comes from the blood. That's what it says. The blood is what produces milk. Huh?
4: Milk is blood.
0: Right. The difference is blood is for you. And milk is the only thing the body produces exclusively for someone else. So it's taking, it's a transformation of self to selfless. It's a beautiful thing, right? That's, when a person mixes the meat with the, with the milk, says the mil, the meat, he says, the meat reverts the milk back to blood. It undoes, and I, I'm not, I don't know physically, but somehow it, it, it reverts it back to blood. And then what are you eating? You're eating blood. Let's take a look at text 12. On a basic level, says Rebbeinah the reason for the prohibition of milk and meat is because such a mixture numbs the heart. <coughs> milk is created from blood, and blood possesses a negative temperament and introduces cruelty within one who consumes it, as I've said before. One of the reasons for the prohibition of blood is because it does not change in the body when digested as other foods do, and so its evil nature remains within, the, within it unaffected. Although in this case, the blood has indeed undergone a change, As it is transformed to milk, however, when it joins with meat, it returns to its original nature. Mixing them together thus numbs the heart, as well as introduces coarseness and negative characteristics in the soul of the consumer. What he says is meat and milk. The meat is basically undoing the milk process. It's now blood, and now you're consuming blood, which again we read before is prohibited. So that's an interesting, that's a very interesting angle on this. Um, I think we're going to skip text 13. So what's the point? The point of all this is, is that um, uh, understood on a, on a deeper level, um, we can ask the same question. You have meat, which is, per, which is permitted. Uh, milk is permitted. It's kosher. It's kosher. We asked, like at the beginning of the class, I asked, take two kosher things, you mix them together, and you're saying it's not kosher. You have this idea that it reverts to blood, but still, at the end of the day, this is kosher. This is kosher. What's going on? Again, based on the Rebbe's letter, we have this understanding that, yes, you could have something kosher, like kosher food and Yom Kippur, but in the wrong context, right? it just degrades the whole experience. When I say degrades, it lowers it down to a space of impurity. It might be pure inside that space. It might be shining, but it's inside the mud. It's, it's a diamond, but now it's stuck in a place that it should that it's not meant to be. And so the same thing is true when you take milk and meat together this is kosher, that's kosher, but you put it together, now you've walked into a space uh, of impurity, and thus, that those soul sparks and that potential is now sunken into a place where it cannot elevate um, any longer. And so that, that would be problematic. And in fact, it causes more damage because it started off as kosher, and now you rendered it almost unkosher. That's worse than starting off with unkosher, which is just remaining what it is. Now you've taken something kosher, And you degraded it. That's worse than something that starts off not kosher, because then you didn't do it. It just is what it is. Um, Does that make sense? And that's why milk and meat is prohibited, even from enjoying any benefit from it, because taking a spark and degrading it at this point, no benefit from that. There's like no utility from that anymore. It's been it went down to such a negative place. um, It is it is over. So now in the final analysis. That why milk and
4: Mm-mm-mm.
0: chicken is Milk and chicken is different. Milk and chicken is rabbinic, not biblical. And it's only because the rabbi said that if people are eating chicken parm, they're gonna make a mistake and have a cheeseburger next. Because people, people, not the rabbis, the rabbis didn't confuse the two. The rabbis believe that people would, since people call chicken meat, so if, peop, if you're eating chicken with, with, with dairy stuff, it's going to be a few generations before everyone forgets about the prohibition entirely, and at that point, everyone's eating milk and meat together. So therefore they said, in order to draw a clear line, they said, let's, we're going to lump chicken into it also. Even though biblically...
4: It doesn't talk about it right, but
0: with this prohibition it makes sense. Oh, well, you could say that once it's part of the prohibition... Except
1: that chickens don't make milk.
4: That's, that's why it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> but the blood... and
0: the- Right, because the original prohibition says, don't cook a kid in its mother's in mother's milk. Right. 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 But, but once... You, this- right, once yeah. you say that there is a, <laughs> a prohibition... Oh, even- blood. Right, I hear what you're saying. Right. Oh, but, but you could say that that only is triggered by meat, not by right. poultry. Right, Cause
1: poultry, because chickens don't make milk. Right.
0: So... But the chicken's blood is still... I guess. No. True. Right. But it's not, look, at the end of the day, once it's rabbinically prohibited, we say now it's the realm of, now it's basically a rabbinic type of Yom Kippur. And at that point, anything that you do, it's again, lowering it down into that space of prohibition. So it would essentially be the same thing from a rabbinic perspective. I mean, it would be nice if, I guess, I don't know if, uh, you know, if, if that, that concern wasn't there, but it is what it is. They didn't extend it to fish. They figured people wouldn't make that distinction. They wouldn't call fish people... <laughs> nah, that's only something else. That's only, you know, sakana, that's a different...
2: But nobody... But, it, I mean, mm-hmm. where do you... How often do you put cheese on fish? Right. Oh,
4: My mean, mother had this, this like, um, <laughs> okay. cooked pasta, mm-hmm. what's called, like, a baked...
0: Oh, that is cheese and, and some salmon. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah,
4: tuna casserole. Oh, okay. Look, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. look, look. Here's the deal. You can go to spice you can go to spicy peach. Bagels and lox. Bagels, Bagels, cream cheese and lox. We do it. What do you mean? You have a tuna melt. Go to spicy peach. Right. They make a panini for you right there on the spot. Spicy peach. No, it's 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 eats it. Absolutely. Some people eat it. Some people eat it. Some people don't. But it's not how. Hal- it's not. It's not halacha. It's a different. It's a different. It's a different realm. Sakana. It's, it's this. It's that. It's some. There's also we don't eat fish and meat together. But that's because of the bones. Because when it comes to meat, you don't have to worry about bones. When it comes to fish, back in the day, you had to worry about bones. And the thought is, if you're just eating and not concerned, you're going to choke on a bone, and it's dangerous. So Rabbi said, because of danger, sakana. Because of danger, don't eat the two together. Does that become halacha? What if we have now, what if we've deboned the fish? So again, that's where the gray area comes in. Once the rabbis establish something, evil one is based on a rationale, and the rationale is no longer binding, do you still hold on to it for old time's sake, or do you let it go? That's already a higher level conversation, and there's more, it's more nuanced than the way I'm presenting it. But the moral of the story that I want to present you tonight, if I had to summarize it, is the following. Number one, we learned tonight... <clears throat> excuse me, about the, about the prohibitions of blood, of fat. And blood, we learned that the, that the fat prohibition is specific fats of very specific animals that, were, that could have been brought on the altar. And we said the rationale, according to many commentaries, is because it's almost like God is saying, those fats reserved for me, not you. Okay, blood also has that rationale, but it also has the rationale of it being well, it might be confused with other blood, and it also has the rationale of it being the nephesh, the soul of the animal, which is very concentrated. It's like the concentrated spirit of the animal, <laughs> and thus it's deemed to be a little too intense for human direct consumption. Number one, it's not broken down, but like food is. Food is literally. Okay. Food is literally broken down by the body, and the body is very discerning about what it keeps and what it rejects when it comes to food. When it comes to to, to blood, I don't know if it's liquid, all liquids or blood specifically. I, I couldn't tell from the text themselves. I got mixed messages. You may have also got mixed messages. But for whatever reason, blood is directly absorbed, immediately absorbed into the body. So number one, there's no filter. It's like, back in the day, right, no filter. That's a little bit, that's hardcore. Plus, what's in there? What's in there is... Pure animal spirit. It's number one, pure, and number two, it's going in pure. That's too intense. So we say no eating, no, no eating the blood. We then ask the question, just kind of going through the timeline. Then we ask, the, then I ask the question. One second, fine, sure, those make sense. But if you look at the bigger picture, the spiritual picture, it's kosher, it's accessible. The light's waiting. You need to elevate it. And we're saying this part of the animal, no. The blood of the animal, no. The mixing the co- meat, no. What, what's going on? So we explain. That you could there are scenarios where you have something kosher, and for another reason it's prohibited. But because it's prohibited, even though the light and the spark remains uh, um, accessible, et cetera. But because of that of that other factor, it would be it would be lowering and missing that opportunity altogether. So the same thing applies here. It's not only Yom Kippur. Same thing would apply here. That is that taking kosher milk, kosher meat, putting it together would be. Losing out on that possibility because of that prohibition. The same thing is true with the blood. And the fact, once God says, for whatever reason, that that's off the table, then even though the spark is accessible, conceptually, it's no longer accessible because that experience is fraught with a separate prohibition. Hope that makes sense. So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is we have tremendous power for uplifting sparks and uplifting uh, the food that we eat. But we also have the tremendous power to not only... um, uh, waste our energy, focus uh, on foods that we can't elevate. But we have the oppor- we have the ability, uh, which is a negative ability or an ability, to take something that is kosher, and degrade the experience. That's the power that human beings have been given. What's the what's the, with great power comes great responsibility. Let us wield our power very wisely. Thank you very much for joining me today for lesson number three. Now lesson four. Listen to this: sacred consumption. I'll read my notes. Sure, we can elevate the sparks within food, but can food itself become holy? We've talked about the sparks inside the food, but the food itself, can the food itself become holy? Can eating be a holy experience? Join me next week for the grand finale as we talk about sacred consumption. Same bad time, same bad channel. Any requests for the menu? Take no, 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 requests. I have questions. <laughs> any, re- any requests? No, it's a serious question. Anything that you would love we'll leave
4: to see. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Pizza can happen again. I wouldn't
0: you like it. the mitzah? I don't know if you want to repeat it. We may have to go a different direction. But I agree with you. I've like been I've been pining for the mitzah as well.
4: I like those little.
0: Oh, the first one, the taco. The, yeah, those were really good also. Oh, you weren't there for that the one. Taco. That was good. Oh, now we can play it up really oh, big. I took and... a photo
4: of the recipe so
0: I can make it. Oh, nice. Good. <laughs> P, well, well yeah. what was the, um, uh, the yeah. original
4: recipe? Is for flatbread.
0: That's They're what like it flatbreads. is. Got it.
4: Um, so, do you think of all this every time you eat?
0: Like, <laughs> no, but we're supposed to. I mean, that's one of the one of the big reasons for the bracha, for saying a blessing before eating, is to at least hopefully have the opportunity to take a moment. Yeah. What we do with that moment, I don't know. Is every can I say that every time I say a bracha, I'm doing a meditation? No. Should and it's not to be me, but should we? Yeah. Um, but we're human. And so, but, but at least we... Look, the more we learn, the more it will be in our consciousness. That's, I mean, the goal of this class is really to get us thinking about food in a different way. Understand kosher a little bit more and understand you know, these spiritual dynamics. It's really about getting to the soul of the matter. Um, and I think it's very cool. Look, there's a lot of foods. Maybe I'll speak about this next week. There's a lot of foods that we eat that are highly significant, which I'm sure many of you know, like why gefilte fish? Why tsalant on Shabbos? Why other, you know, there are foods that have a lot of not only symbolism and cultural symbolism, but have halachic, you know, meaning and rationale. So next week, if I remember what I would love to do, in addition to speaking about how food itself can be holy or made holy, I also want to speak about these types of, um, of foods, the, the, the traditional foods that have um, halachic meaning, Jewish legal meaning, number one, number two, <laughs> I want to get into numerology a little bit next week. If you guys can remind me.
4: Numerology or gematria?
0: Gematria. Okay. Yeah, gematria. Well, I'm just calling it numerology because it sounds cool. But yeah, gematria, which is Hebrew numerology. So we'll talk about that next week, specifically regarding Shabbos and Shabbos foods. Okay? The numerology of Kishka and Cholent and Kugel. I,
2: may I ask a question unrelated to the topic? Absolutely. Um... Reconciling uh, all the violence
4: that's going on yes. in, in uh, Israel and